Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free, Joshua Tree. Today I want to tell you about Chiron, a figure from Greek mythology who is commonly known to us as the Wounded Healer. Chiron often comes up in astrological readings and conversations, and you may be familiar with him in that context. Often when Chiron is evoked, he's used as the personification of our deepest wounds, the spiritual and psychological wounds that we receive early in life, wounds that shape us, and our desire to heal ourselves and ultimately others. This idea of Chiron connects our capacity for personal suffering with empathy for the suffering of others. Now, this is a really beautiful and useful idea. But I would like to take us in a little bit different direction today, starting with evoking C.G. Jung's notion of the shadow. This metaphor of the shadow was used by Jung to represent everything that is repressed or denied by an individual or by a culture, the things that we don't see and don't want to see or find unacceptable about ourselves can be relegated to the shadow. And this happens for us as individuals, and it happens collectively. This collective aspect is very important because this collective psyche that we are in exerts a Uh, power that none of us has as individuals, and it also is a determining factor in the decisions, conscious and unconscious, that we make about our own shadow content. If the culture tells you that something about you is unacceptable or not useful, you're much more likely to push that into your own shadow in an effort to belong. One of my favorite quotes from Jung about the shadow comes from a modern man in search of soul. And he said, How can I be substantial if I fail to cast a shadow? I must have a dark side also if I am to be whole. And as much as I become conscious of my shadow... I also remember that I am a human being like any other. Now, I love this quote from Jung because it tells us several very important things about the shadow and this process, beginning with the fact that it's unavoidable. Anything that exists with consciousness will have an unconscious, that is, a shadow. And although... We think of anything that's in the darkness negatively. The implication here from Jung is that we don't necessarily need to do that. 
While the shadow does contain negative and dangerous elements, it also contains gifts. There's a challenge here to take the shadow on for good or for ill because we need to own all aspects of self. And this is true for individuals and, as I say, for cultures. Now, I particularly like the way that he ends this quote when he says, As I become conscious of my shadow, I also remember that I am a human being like any other. What does he mean by that? Well, a human being like any other, that we are all united in a similar plight. A human being like any other, words to counteract, perhaps, the inflated sense of self that comes when we walk around pretending that we don't have a shadow. (laughs) A pretension that is part of our shadow. And a human being, you know, a human being has a particular uh, conditions and particular limits in life. Now, with all of that in mind, I want to bring in Chiron again and his connection to wounds. One of the things that we tend to relegate to our shadows is our wounds, the places where we've been deeply hurt, because they are often seen by us and reflected back to us by the, in the, by the culture as imperfections. Wounds can be places that fester with feelings of inadequacy and shame. Now, I want to share uh, the details of Chiron from Greek mythology with you. And there aren't a lot of stories that involve him. He's kind of like the goddess Hestia in that way. There aren't really a lot of stories about him, and yet he was a crucial part of the context of Greek society. So he was part of the cultural milieu of ideas and values, although he doesn't have a lot of exploits of his own. I'm going to tell you what's come down to us through the centuries, And I invite you to make your own connections and consider how this ancient image of healings and wounds might inform your sense of your own. So, as I said, Chiron is from Greek mythology, and he was a son of Kronos. So he was in the same generation as Zeus. He was a centaur, half man and half horse. And we're told that when he was born, he frightened his mother, and so she abandoned him. She asked Zeus to turn her into a tree to escape mothering this creature that she had birthed, and Zeus did so. Chiron was not the only centaur. There was, they, they were an entire race of half-horse, half-man beings, and they were very lusty and violent for the most part. They were not welcome in ordinary society, that is, with the other gods or in human civilizations. And they possessed a dual nature because of this horse-man combo. There was a very powerful, instinctual animal side 
coupled with human consciousness. And human consciousness, as we understand it from the Greek perspective, and this is a paraphrase, but to give you the flavor, contained and brought with it an awareness of destiny and fate, the ability to create, to learn, to reason, to interact with the gods, and to imagine, to bring forth ideas of various sorts. Now, most of the centaurs were completely wedded to their instinctual animal side. But Chiron was wise. He somehow managed to balance these energies, and he was known for his goodness and his kindness and for his knowledge of music, the martial arts, hunting, ethics, and medicine. He lived alone in a cave. He was not part of either group. So he was kind of one of these middle characters. He was not fully accepted or allowed into civilized society. He was not uh, fully integrated into the civilized society of Olympians and humans, but he was also rejected then by the rest of the centaurs, and he didn't want to be around them because they were rude and nasty and brutish. So let's pause to think for a moment about this combination, music and the martial arts, the war, basically, hunting and ethics. You know, we don't always see those things as fitting together. But this was one part of the Greek philosophy of life and manhood that was important. And that's the idea that a warrior, a true warrior, should be able to heal the wounds that he inflicted. And this was Chiron's teaching. Not only could you take life, but sustain life. And we notice that music is wrapped up in this because the Greeks understood that music was an important healing force. We get the idea of the healing arts from the Greek. Now, Chiron was a beloved teacher and mentor to many Greek heroes. Jason, who traveled with the Argonauts to get the Golden Fleece, the famous Achilles from the Iliad, Acteon, the hunter, who you might recall had a very fateful meeting with the goddess Artemis, and also Heracles, or Hercules. That's the other pronunciation. Another one of Chiron's pupils was Asclepius, the son of the god Apollo, who was very skilled at healing. In fact, Asclepius was ultimately the healer. And the caduceus, the rod with the twining snakes that is a symbol of medical practice today, comes from the heritage of Asclepius. Asclepius had a center at Epidaurus that people went to to be healed from all kinds of afflictions. And here we had, in practice, this notion of the healing arts. People would go there. They would take purifying baths, maybe get massage, fast. They would listen to music. They would attend theatrical events. And ultimately, 
they would go into little stone cubbies to dream. And the prophets and the servants of Asclepius would come to these dreamers in the morning and help them interpret those their dreams. And those dreams were understood to be healing. So Chiron was the mentor of a wide range of warriors and heroes and healers. Now, how did Chiron receive his fateful wound? Well, I mentioned Hercules a minute ago. Now, you might know that the mighty Hercules was compelled by the goddess Hera to complete 12 labors, and most of these involved removing monsters of various sorts from the world. In his second labor, he killed the Hydra, a snake with many heads, And after he had killed the hydra, he dipped his arrows in its venom and then had an extraordinarily potent and powerful weapon. Heracles' third labor was to capture the Euromanthian boar, which was a huge wild pig that was rampaging out uh, in the mountains. And it was when Hercules was on his way to this region to capture the boar that the incident with Chiron occurred. On his way, Heracles stopped at the home of another friendly centaur named Pholus. And Pholus cooked a meal for Heracles of roasted meat, which was very gracious of him because centaurs ate their meat raw. And during the course of the meal, Heracles asked his host for some wine. Now, as it turned out, Pholus was in possession of a sealed jar of very special wine that was a gift of the god Dionysus. But he was not supposed to drink this wine alone. And in fact, it was really supposed to be shared by the company of centaurs. But Heracles was thirsty and he wanted the wine and he assured Pholus, don't worry, you know, it's going to be fine. Open the jar for me. And out of respect for the hero, Pholus did this. Well, as soon as they started to drink, the other centaurs smelled the fragrant smell of this incredible wine, and they angrily rushed down to Pholus's home. Battle ensued. Heracles took on the entire band. A number of them were killed, and the others fled to Chiron's cave. Heracles let fly another of his potently poisoned arrows and, to his great sorrow and dismay, accidentally wounded Chiron, his beloved teacher. Now, Pholus was also killed in this incident. He went and plucked one of these arrows from one of his dead centaur brothers And marveling that so small a device and one that caused so small of a puncture could be lethal, he pricked himself with it and died immediately. Chiron did not die. He tried to treat himself with a wide range of ointments. And Heracles also ministered to him for some time. But their success was very limited. Chiron didn't die, but he was in tremendous anguish from the pain of this wound. 
And so he remained alone in his cave, praying for relief, even death. Now, after some time, relief did come from the same source, Heracles. Heracles had to leave to complete another one of his labors. And it was during the course of one of the last, I think it might have been when he was going to collect the golden apples of the Hesperides, I'm not sure. But in any event, on his way to this complete this next labor, he passed by Prometheus, who was chained to his rock. Now, you might be familiar with Prometheus. Prometheus was the trickster-like titan who stole fire from the gods against Zeus's orders and gave it to human beings. Zeus was so angry when he did this that he had Prometheus chained to a rock on the far outer reaches of civilization, Mount Caucasus. And an eagle came every day to peck at Prometheus's liver. So Prometheus was suffering pretty greatly for having given us this gift, this gift of fire, which we can understand as a metaphor for the kind of human consciousness, self-consciousness, that put us just a little bit nearer the gods. That consciousness that enabled us to have that sense of destiny and purpose and meaning and is the source of our individuality. Zeus wasn't happy about this. That is the type of consciousness that the Greek gods had. However, the gods were still immortal and human beings were not. Well, Heracles was passing by Prometheus at the time that the eagle arrived. And without even thinking about it, he shot one of his arrows and killed the eagle. Now, Zeus was Heracles' father. And so now Zeus was in a little bit of a predicament because he really couldn't let the thwarting of his ordained punishment to Prometheus go completely uncontested, and yet Heracles was his beloved son. So when Heracles went to him and suggested that maybe there could be a little exchange, Zeus agreed. And the exchange was this. Chiron, who was immortal and suffering, was allowed to take Prometheus's place on the rock, and he was allowed to die. And Prometheus, in exchange, was allowed to go free. So Chiron's suffering from this unhealable wound ends with death. Now, you might notice here that he was a healer before he got this wound. So there is a link between wounds and healing, but it's not so much that he was motivated to become a healer because he was wounded. The story involves a tragedy, a tragic accident that befalls him. And that is what I want to spend a minute thinking about. Because in embracing that fact, I think we can move to an even deeper awareness of the challenge and the gift inherent in our wounds. It's a common expectation that life should be fair. And that, or that we should be immune somehow by virtue of our virtue <laughs> f- 
from that type of pain, isn't it? I mean, in your heart of hearts, don't you feel that it's wrong, wrong when something terrible happens to somebody who is good? And yet these things do happen. Now remember I mentioned the shadow at the beginning of this program and the common tendency to relegate our wounds to this darkness, to that centaur's cave, if you will. And I said that we do this as individuals and that we do it as a culture and I think that those things especially go hand in hand when we talk about bad things happening to good people and wounds. The problem is that in this life is fair paradigm and our lack of willingness to accept tragic outcomes, we end up as individuals as either victims or to blame. Somebody has to be at fault. Somebody did it to us. Something happened to us that shouldn't have happened or we brought it on ourselves. And there aren't a lot of options in either one of those boxes. Those are both fairly small places to be with a lot of potential for bitterness. But we can make a move to acceptance, to acceptance of limits and of our mortality if we allow for the existence of tragedy. And as strange as it may sound, that is the path to wisdom. The path to wisdom for us as individuals and the path to wisdom for us as a society. The collective nature of the shadow can be seen also in Chiron's wound. There's a collective nature to his wound. Earlier on in this program, I told you that he was caught in the middle, that he was not accepted by either the centaurs or the Olympian and human communities. And you see in this story that he was literally caught in the middle, in the crossfire, in the crossfire between those two paradigms, the animal instinctual and the so-called civilized and reasoned. There's a cultural, ancestral aspect to Chiron's wound, and that is true for our deepest wounds. When we stay in the purely personal realm, it's easy to say, my mother did this to me, or my brother did that to me. Those people over there, they're the ones that are responsible. And while we all do have personal responsibility, personal responsibility for what we do to other people, for the meaning that we find in the things that happen to us, for encounters with our personal shadow, we are also part of the collective. If we can allow for the very real experience of tragedy, we can work together. From that perspective, one can see that everyone is wounded. From that perspective, one can see the commonalities in our wounding. From that perspective, one can see the necessity to bring those wounds and their sources out of the shadow. And from that perspective, we can work together 
to find their solutions. No one survives unscathed, especially from the kinds of schisms that exist in the world today. Schisms between human communities, schisms between human communities and the non-human, <laughs> between gods, the list goes on and on and on. Which leads me to a personal note on this front. I see my wound as a kind of existential loneliness. And that's one of the reasons why I study mythology. Because when I study mythology, it takes me back into a matrix, not only of meaning, but of being. And I'm reminded that most people throughout most of human history knew that they were part of a web of interrelationships that was intricate and beautiful. I wrote a little poem some years back when I was thinking about Chiron and the shadow and wounds and the gift that represents. And uh, I'd like to share that with you. It's called Mine Shaft. Learn the names of everything around you. Greet everyone, even the fat possum with long white hands who lurks in the oleander at night and steals cat food from the neighbor's back stoop. Cook your own food. Keep a plant alive. Live with a cat or two, or a dog, if you've the patience. Stretch. Pray, if you're able. Going down is hard work, dropping suddenly, or slowly slipping into the darkness. When you hit bottom, it will be wet. Bend down and drink, but not too much, and not too fast. Let your feet sink into the mud. It's okay. The ones who don't get called are the ones who are cheated. The trick is to understand the gift. That little poem contains some of the things that I've discovered that helped lead me back into the world and were part of my answer to what I believe are collective wounds. So let me end this program with uh, the words of a true poet, (laughs) one of my favorites, Leonard Cohen. I'll just remind you that Leonard said, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for today. Feel free to contact me if you have comments or questions about today's program or mythology in general. You can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook or email me through my website, mythicmojo.com. If I may, I'd like to remind you that Radio Free Joshua Tree and Myth in the Mojave are listener-supported, and these programs are made possible through the generous support of some local supporters and listeners like you. So if you're finding value in Myth in the Mojave, I encourage you to go to the Radio Free Joshua Tree website, use the handy PayPal donate button, and make a contribution of any size would be very much appreciated. And to make this program more widely available and useful to you, I'm also in the process of moving archived programs over to Bandcamp, www.bandcamp.com. I have a couple of CD collections there that reflect some additional work I've done with the programs that are available for purchase, for download, or for streaming. 
and I'm going to move all of the archives over there with the idea that it'll be much easier for people to access the programs and play them on multiple devices. This particular program was inspired by a listener. I'd like to give special thanks to Mabel in Buenos Aires, Argentina, for suggesting the subject of Chiron to me. I've enjoyed putting this program together for you, Mabel. And thank you for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making, and keep the mystery in your life alive. Thank you.